Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. It's time to play like a jet with your host, Scott Mason. Play like a jet. What does that mean? Gotta be feeling good about what Mike White's done today. On third and four, he'll look to throw. In zone, Wilson, a big play downfield. Wilson still going along the sideline. He's not going to go down. Allen tripped up. He could not get past Jermaine Johnson. Oh, look at the speed of Brees Hall. He's done it again. Brees Lightning, 62 yards for the touchdown. Rodgers in trouble again, and he's sacked again by Quinn Williams. What a beast, number 95 for the Jets. Listen. This is Play Like a Jet. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at PlayLikeAJet1. And it's time for part two of the weekend mailbag. So we bring back contributor at PlayLikeAJet.com, Kayla Pace. So let's jump right back into the mailbag. Next question comes in from Matthew Price. He asks, do you think the Jets would have made the playoffs if Brees Hall hadn't gotten hurt? Probably, especially if Elijah Ver Tucker didn't get hurt. I think they very well could have won both of those Patriots games, and that would have been just enough to get them into the playoffs. Now, going forward, you need better quarterback play, obviously, but I think the way that everything broke down, if Brees Hall had stayed healthy, they probably could have snuck into the playoffs just on the strength of his performances. Kayla, we've talked about this. He was carrying the offense, and he was allowing the Jets to hide Zach Wilson, and once he went out, that wasn't a possibility anymore, and it changed everything. So I do think that there's a very strong possibility the Jets could have gotten into the playoffs if Brees Hall had never gotten hurt. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, yeah, Brees Hall himself could have covered it up quite a bit, but, I mean, it's obviously the Brees-AVT combo that was the the downfall of the whole thing. Um, But, yeah, they clearly missed him out there. He's a playmaker, and, like, watching how the offensive line was so banged up and just a general disaster those last couple of weeks of the season. I mean, even Brees might have had some trouble finding finding a hole in those blocks. But um, I, I think that they would have at least picked up another win or two, something that would have put them in playoff contention. And it's too bad that that was the way that had to go down. But again, I mean, either way, would the Jets have done well in the playoffs just off Brees' back? Probably not. I mean, the offense can only hide for so long. And if Zach wasn't the guy, it was it was going to come out sooner or later. And the the injury just kind of accelerated that. Next question comes in from J6. He asks, Mike White, QB1, yes or no? Serious question. I say give him a chance. No. And this is no slight at Mike White. I thought he played admirably, showed his toughness. He went out there with broken ribs. He had a couple of nice games, but ultimately the sample size just isn't there for the Jets to be able to rely on him. And the health isn't there either. As Bill Parcells likes to say, and when we talk about Jimmy Garoppolo, this will come up a lot too, the best ability is availability. And Mike White has been hurt more than once now in a very small sample size. 
there's no way you can bank on him being QB1. I would like to see him come back as the backup because he knows the system, his teammates respect him, the coaches like him, so I think he'd be good for that role. But as the starter, no, there's no way you could bring him back as the presumed starter. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you. I mean, I think he should be on the roster, and he belongs on the Jets roster or any NFL roster. I mean, clearly the guy is somebody that if your quarterback goes down, he can go out there and keep you in games. That's kind of the whole point of the backup quarterback role. Um, I don't necessarily think that he is in any way ready to be a starter. Who knows if that's in his future? I'm not. I'm not one to rule that out. But um, that's, I hope that they don't. They don't let that that presence and that energy leave. Um, but I don't think you can go into camp with him as your as your number one guy. Next question comes in from Jeremiah Westgate. He asks, why is it that all the, quote, draft guys who don't actually have NFL personnel scout jobs think that the 5'11", 190-pound quarterback who's the mayor of Munchkinland is a sure thing and should be the number one pick in the draft? I think what probably happened here, and Kayla, you might be able to back me up on this, is they actually watched Bryce Young play. And that's why they think he's the best quarterback in the draft. That's my best guess as to why they think that he's the best quarterback that will be available. The truth of the matter is we don't know if, when it's all said and done, Bryce Young will be the top pick in the draft. We may go through this process and somebody falls in love with Will Levis or somebody falls in love with C.J. Stroud. Look what happened in last year's draft. Trevon Walker came out of nowhere to be the number one pick overall in the draft. We thought for sure for a while it was going to be Hutchinson or Thibodeau. And then as the process played out, Thibodeau's stock dropped. We heard stuff off the field. People finally really dug in on his tape, didn't like it as much, didn't think that it matched the hype. Trevon Walker rose up the board just based on potential. So we can't say for sure that Bryce Young is going to be the number one overall pick. And obviously people are going to go through his tape and make a determination as to whether or not they think he's going to be awesome. I will say, though, that your statement that the quote-unquote draft guys with no personnel and scout jobs are the only ones that are propping up Bryce Young is very, very wrong. Because you can go and watch guys like Daniel Jeremiah and Bucky Brooks, who both worked in the NFL as scouts, and several others who evaluate quarterbacks and have had scouting jobs in the past, and they are all raving about Bryce Young right now. So it's not just draft guys online that like Bryce Young. And as far as his size, yeah, I prefer he's bigger, but there have been guys that are smaller that have had success in the NFL. Russell Wilson comes to mind. I know Kyler Murray has struggled. I don't think it has as much to do with his size as it does with the fact that he just doesn't seem all that interested in putting in the work, unfortunately. That's why they had to put that clause in his contract. So teams are moving further and further away from those big giant guys who just sit in the pocket if you're a guy that can move outside of the pocket and create throwing lanes for yourself you'll be fine they do rpos and such so i think that's why bryce young is the guy that right now is considered number one whether that ends up being the case when the evaluations are done and we get closer to april i couldn't tell you for sure because i haven't dug in on bryce young's tape myself yet based on what i've seen just in the games i've watched i would say that he looks to be the best quarterback but as you know, when you go back and watch the All-22 more closely, sometimes your opinion changes based on things that you don't pick up on first viewing. Yeah, um, I think, too, that I'm going to repeat myself from before. I mean, either way, the quarterback picks are a crapshoot in my eyes. So, okay, whether he goes first, whether he drops to 10, whatever it might be, we don't actually know. Yeah, he played really well at Alabama. That is at the college level. I don't. It's not rocket science that a lot of players don't translate from college to the pros. So... We'll see how it pans out. And it's very possible that, yeah, maybe he's too short. Maybe he won't be great in the NFL. 
I mean, but if you watch him play, you see all of the tangible qualities of a great quarterback. So, um, like everyone else, we're just going to have to wait and find out and see how it goes for him. Play like a jet. Play like a jet. Next question comes in from Gus Toon. He asks, we all know the struggles Zach Wilson had, but do you think he would have benefited from having the offensive coordinator on the sideline in his ear instead of up in the booth? So much communication is not just verbal. I hope Zach Wilson bounces back. Go Jets. We all hope Zach Wilson bounces back. Keeping our fingers crossed for that. As far as whether or not he would have benefited from Michael LaFleur being on the sideline, I don't think so. And I think the results were actually better when Michael LaFleur went up to the booth. Remember, everybody joked about Booth LaFleur. I think ultimately <laughs> it doesn't matter that much in terms of Zach's performance. If a guy's going to be good, he's going to be good. If you're on the sideline or up in the booth, I don't think it's going to make that much of a major difference for the quarterback's development. And I'm sure there was somebody on the sideline that was in his ear anyway. Yeah, no, I'm I'm surprised. I'm glad you brought it up because I was like, as soon as that question came out, I was like, oh, now we're against Booth LaFleur? Like, that was <laughs> like, everyone was petitioning for that at one point. Um, but yeah, no, I... I think that um, it's really probably just an issue on both of their ends and probably nothing to do with the sideline. Like, I think that his game plan was just kind of predictable. And I think that he was, it's possible that he was trying to make it that way to make it easier for Zach. But um, either way, that's not going to work. Because even if Zach gets that down, then opposing defenses are going to get that down too. So um, I think that. In some ways, like I want to give Lafleur some credit. He's between a, a rock and a hard place with a quarterback situation. Um, you're trying to scheme for what you think your team can execute. Uh, but that being said, there's no excuse for for some of the calls he made. I mean, I was sitting there in the Hard Rock Stadium last weekend, thinking, "Why are we running it on three and fifteen towards the towards the red zone? Third and fifteen towards the red zone." So I was I was um. Not not the biggest fan of a lot of his play calling, but I don't think that, that Booth or Field would have fixed that. Kayla, I was watching that game and I was thinking about you and your dad. And on the one hand, I felt bad that you had to sit through that nonsense. But on the other hand, <laughs> you were down in Florida and you were probably having fun on the beach the rest of the trip. So I didn't feel that bad. No, you're absolutely right. Uh, we we definitely made up for the lack of good football. I mean, and hey, now we can tell people we saw a game that ended 11 to 6. I don't know how many people can say that. It's a good point. That's not exactly a common score. Next question comes in from Boston Jets fan. He says, hey, Scott, love the podcast. Daily updates is psychotic, but well received. Yes, you're right. It is indeed very psychotic. How much of the quarterback play is offensive coordinator related? I see guys like Brock Purdy doing well, while Zach Wilson is way more talented but struggling in situations like in Seattle. How does a quarterback help if the defense knows your plays? If you saw the video, you know what he's talking about there. Tariq Woolen was on the sidelines basically calling out what the Jets are going to be doing on given offensive plays. Never a good sign. And that goes back to what Garrett Wilson said as well in his year-end comments during the presser about how they noticed that other teams were picking up what they were doing. Not a great endorsement for Mike LaFleur. But as far as Brock Purdy and Zach Wilson and all of that, the 49ers have excellent weapons, no question, a good offensive line, and a very smart coach. But also, I don't think people are giving Brock Purdy enough credit. I'm not saying he's necessarily going to turn into an elite quarterback, but he's playing as a top 15 quarterback as a seventh-round rookie thrown into the fire in December. That is something that almost nobody would be succeeding doing. 
So even though Brock Purdy doesn't have to make a ton of big plays, he's doing exactly what he needs to do, which is easier said than done. So people need to stop saying that's a quarterback-proof offense there and give some credit to Brock Purdy. Now, yes, obviously, Shanahan has done a great job, and they've built a really nice team around Purdy. But there's a reason why if you go and look at the record of quarterbacks for the 49ers that weren't named Jimmy Garoppolo the last five years, they had a losing record by a long shot. And that's because those guys just really were not very good and couldn't execute the offense at a high level. Purdy can. It's a combination of smart development and Purdy just being a heady kid and knowing what to do and exactly how to operate, which again is a seventh round rookie who's thrown in there in December in the middle of a playoff race. That's not something that just anybody can handle. As far as what's going on in Seattle, like I said, not an endorsement of Mike LaFleur that other teams were able to figure out so easily what he and the offensive staff were trying to do every game. Yeah, um, I will like I've been on the record saying this many times. I am I did not like Brock Purdy coming out of college. I did not think he even deserved to be a draft pick. I thought he was dead in the water. But uh, hey, I can also admit when I'm wrong. Clearly, the guy has the IQ to go out there and run the offense. I would agree more or less on the skill set. Like I don't think he's the most talented guy in the world. Um, but clearly, it's enough based on what we've seen so far. I mean, he's going to, barring some kind of crazy implosion, he's going to be on an NFL roster going forward for the foreseeable future. And might not be as a starter, might be as a backup guy. He might be someone else's Mike White. But, like, I do think that, like, he's proven that he goes out there and can win games. And so that's great. And that's when it comes down to more than just physical talent. Um, but good for Brock Purdy for stepping in there and being an impressive show to watch. Like you said, given that he was a seventh round quarterback pick, um, hats off to him. Next question comes in from Richard Pope. He says, I'm 40, been a diehard fan most of my life, not from New York. I'm in Canada. There aren't many Jets fans here. Tell me some stories of Jets fans that have seen worse. Who is the oldest living diehard? That person (laughs) deserves a medal. Well, first of all, I would love to know how you became a diehard Jets fan in Canada, not being from New Mm -hmm. York. Usually it winds up that it's some family member that was a big Jets fan. Vinny Pasquantino, who is now the starting first baseman for the Kansas City Royals. At the time that he came on the show last year, he was still in AAA. And I predicted that he was going to make it to the show that year, and he did. But Vinny said that the reason that he became a Jets fan, even though he lived upstate, is because when he was a little kid, Vinny Testaverde was the quarterback of the Jets, and he thought it was the coolest thing ever that there was a quarterback named Vinny. So he just became a Jets fan that way. Usually it's, oh, my dad was a Jets fan, and so he passed it on to me. Or my uncle was a Jets fan, and I watched games with them. Or my mom was a Jets fan. Whoever it is, it's usually something like that. So I would love to know how you wound up a Jets fan living in Canada, but There are a lot of really tough stories of people who are Jets fans. I could sit here for weeks telling you hard luck stories about being a Jets fan. I'm thankfully not the oldest living Jets diehard. I'm not sure who that would be, but I will say this. Whoever it is saw a championship because the Jets did win a Super Bowl over 50 years ago. So if you're... 80 years old, you were alive when the Jets won a Super Bowl. So it's not like being a Red Sox fan before they won the World Series or a Cubs fan before they won the World Series. But yes, it's been a tough existence if you're a big football fan and you root for the Jets. Yeah, my dad saw Super Bowl at age three. He always likes to tell me that. (laughs) 
Next question comes in from our buddies Drew and Chris over at the Rock Pile Report podcast. He said, since we already talk about this stuff every week on our AFC East show, by the way, if you don't listen to the AFC East roundup that they do, you should. And not just because I'm on it every week. He says, I thought it might be interesting to give some perspective from another outsider in this case, Greg Tomset of Cover One, who says, I'm genuinely surprised that the Jets are firing Michael LaFleur and laying all of the offense at his feet with the QB talent or lack thereof that he had. And then Drew and Chris go on to say, more importantly, do you think this move underscores a dramatic change of philosophy at quarterback? LaFleur was brought in as the offensive coordinator and the thought was draft and develop a quarterback to cut ties with him when the develop part failed to me signifies that they most likely are going to try and get a veteran offensive coordinator and a veteran quarterback. I think that's probably true, but I do think that if they keep Zach Wilson, they would hope that whoever the veteran offensive coordinator is can do a better job of resurrecting Zach Wilson's career, sort of the way that Jim Harbaugh went into the 49ers and was able to fix things with Alex Smith and at least turn him into a capable quarterback. As far as the draft and develop scenario, It was always a risky play, Caleb, because as you know, when you have a first-time coordinator and a rookie quarterback that you draft very high, you're really rolling the dice because you have a guy in Mike LaFleur who has never developed a quarterback before. So you're really trusting him to take the lead on something that could hold everybody's future employment in their hands. If it works out, it's brilliant and you're a genius and it was the smartest thing you could ever do. If it fails, then you have the potential for a lot of people to be in hot water, and that's what happened here. I'm not going to sit here and say that it's all Mike LaFleur's fault because we don't know what went on behind the scenes, how much of this is on Zach Wilson himself, how much of this is on the coaching staff and their inability to get the most out of Wilson. LaFleur himself said in retrospect maybe Wilson should have sat for a year. We could sit here all day asking the questions. And this goes back to what we said as far as should the Jets fire Mike LaFleur just for the sake of firing Mike LaFleur or are there deeper reasons? I think the Jets firing Mike LaFleur tells you that they just weren't happy with where Wilson was at and also they looked at the overall offense and saw too many shortcomings that they felt like he wasn't going to improve upon and they needed to make a move here. So I think Drew and Chris are probably right. The move most likely means that you're going to get a veteran starting quarterback and a veteran offensive coordinator. Who that ends up being will be very interesting. Yeah, um, it it's tough. Um, I mean, like Lafleur, Lafleur is taking the fall for a lot of the issues on the team. I mean, a lot of the offensive struggles fall on the quarterback situation. But again, like you said, I mean, as the offensive coordinator, even as um, a, an offensive quarter with no experience, like developing that rookie quarterback falls a lot on you. And um, it's definitely going to be interesting to see where they go with this going forward. It's funny. As soon as the, the LaFleur news dropped, the first tweet I saw on the timeline was Todd Munkin and Justin Fields in 2023, which uh, gave me a nice little laugh. But I mean, hey, I know you're on board with the Todd Munkin aspect of that, but it's just funny because you're just seeing already like, Obviously, Munkin has the wealth of experience that we've talked about a ton. But um, and then Justin Fields, I mean, I wouldn't say a wealth of experience. But again, like I was saying, I want I want a guy that's played in an NFL game and has shown that he has some competency in doing that. And um, so, yeah, we're not we're not just going to shoot at the draft board and, and see what sticks and just cross our fingers and hope for the best. Um, or bring in another guy that's like, hey, he's buddies with our head coach that we're hiring, and uh, they think they have a good plan together to to have their coming out party. Like, 
nope, like this now it's a matter of kind of like a life or death for this coaching regime. And it's like, let's bring in someone that we know can do it. And so that, like you said, Scott, that list, I mean, it's sizable, not crazy, but there, there's definitely a list of guys that would qualify. And uh, now it's time to see who they pick. That's going to wrap up part two of the mailbag. Follow Kayla on Twitter at KP underscore on underscore TV. Make sure you check out everything we're doing at playlikeajet.com and the Play Like a Jet YouTube channel. The Thunder from Down Under, Luke Grant, has got some great videos up there. That's all on our YouTube channel right now, so check out those videos and subscribe if you haven't already. Visit our store at tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. We've got the John Franklin Myers, Quinn and Williams, Bless You, Thank You shirt, the Play Like a Jet logo shirt, mugs, hoodies, caps. It's all there, tpublic.com. That's T-E-E-Public.com. And make sure you give us a five-star review for the podcast on iTunes if you haven't done that already. Easy way to help out the show if you like what we're doing. Doesn't take you much time, doesn't cost you any money, but it goes a long way to help us out. So if you could go ahead and do that for us, we'd be quite grateful. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts and content, you know where to go. That's Play Like a Jet Digital and playlikeajet.com.